Well, hey you, hello there. Every person everywhere. A good day to you, wherever you are in the world, however you're listening. I'm so glad that you could join me. My name is Lynn, and this is Every Person Everywhere. Stuff you can relate to. So, I'm starting my 40-minute commute to work to do what I love most, besides talking to all of you and making music, and that is occupational therapy, which I will get into in just a moment as I tell you a bit more about me and as a person and what led me down the path in life that I'm on. But first and foremost, I need to address road rage and traffic issues. So I live in an area that is a little bit urbanized, a little bit rural, and it's the most beautiful and perfect mix of I don't know how to drive, I just put my car places and hope that everyone around me adjusts. Enough people do that, and I usually end up seeing at least one accident to two accidents per week on my way to and from work, simply because people do not know how to drive. So, what do you do if you find yourself in a situation where you're the person sitting in traffic and waiting for the world around you to sort of get a grip on things? Perfect example. I'm sitting here cruising down the interstate, which I need to take every day to get to work, and somebody who was in the furthermost lane away from the turning lane decided at a literal moment's notice at the light to turn left that it would be a great idea to cut across every single lane to turn left. Of course, traffic in front of me wasn't too happy with it, and neither was I. But here's how I deal with a little bit of road rage. I usually take a deep breath in and I squeeze the steering wheel like a stress ball and when I breathe out I release all that tension I remind myself that it's not good to hold on to that tension and it's not good to hold on to resentment it's so easy to have that degree of separation and feel a bit of scoff for people on the road that you'll never meet that you've never met that you very very likely never will but If you remove those degrees of separation, you don't want to bring that home to your loved ones or somebody that you like. It's always better to leave what happens on the road on the road and what happens at home at home and what happens at work at work. And so practicing those transitions is very key to us. Even if you literally have to talk yourself through, okay, this is a thing that just happened. What do I need to give myself right now to process this? What do I have to give myself to get through this right now? Is it insurmountable? Is it going to take some time? And if so, is there any way that I can reduce the impact it has on others around me? Now, it's easier said than done, but, you know, as somebody that works in the mental health field and works with individuals that have mental health challenges, both directly and indirectly, I definitely understand what it's like to have these complications of things that have happened in your life that you may not feel you have the ability to control or you take it too personally when things that you cannot help nor change happen around you. So without further ado, let's get into why I chose occupational therapy. So even as far back as 1907, 
although we've made such great advances in medical care and social work and psychology in its earliest forms and its earliest days, we still had a problem with engaging people with who they were, where they were, why they were, and we struggled as a medical community to make it meaningful for those individuals. Sure, any old social worker can tell you that you're going home tomorrow and that you're going to need help when you're at home. And sure, any old physician can prescribe you medication. Any old psychiatrist can check in with you and see how you're doing, ask you if the voices have subsided, ask you if you still have thoughts of harming yourself or others. And it might be true in that moment, but how do you continue to maximize your own life and independence? So the very foundations of occupational therapy started with these tenets in mind. Occupational therapy is the proclaimed profession and really the only one that you... Every holistic part of a human being to meet them where they are, when they are, and why they are. And this is important because the way that we treat patients in occupational therapy stems down to many, many factors. So it still has medical roots. There's still a lot that we do with looking at how upper limb functions and looking at how our neurons function in our body and trying to diagnose and assess and improvise ways to help these people get back to the things that they want and need to do in order to survive on a daily basis. But it's so much more than just that. We're also trained to look at why somebody might be struggling financially. We might also look at why somebody is struggling emotionally and psychologically. We might even look at, sure, they have issues with their balance, but what about their environment they live in? What about the community they engage in? Is it safe for them? Is it going to be something that benefits them long term? Is it going to support them and build them up for future success? These are all things that you have to look at as an occupational therapist. And so the easiest way to remember it really is if you look at physical therapy, they are the how we get back to doing what we do. Occupational therapy is the why we get back to what we do. What is the purpose for us doing upper limb strengthening? What is the purpose for us doing motor coordination? What is our purpose, period? If somebody's not motivated or driven, that's the first thing that you gotta work on. That's the first thing you have to assess. So why is all of this important to me? When did it become important to me? So let's take it back to my teenage years. I was a very introverted kid who had better friends in textbooks than actual people. I'm an only child, and I was also the nerdy kid, so I didn't fit in a whole lot of places. As such, that led me to get bullied a lot, and that led to my mental health declining at a very early age, because I grew up in a part of the world where we don't really believe in mental health treatment, and you just kind of sweep your problems under the rug and address them later. So I did, as a good old Christian schoolboy would do, and then I would question the very fabric of reality one day when I was 15, and my father got diagnosed with cancer. And then nine months later, he would come to pass away. A lot of things had shifted in my brain then and there. I didn't get the help that I needed. And I started to develop a persistent mood disorder. And so this would 
play into a lot of aspects of my life where I had the how I was going to succeed in school and work, but I definitely didn't have the why. I knew how to make a sandwich, but some part of my brain in my manic state didn't allow me to remember. I had the ability to budget my taxes and my finances, but some part of my brain just shut off and said that's not important. Or the opposite would happen and I would get severely depressed. And I knew how to take tests and I knew how to take notes, but my ability to do so shut down. Me as a human being no longer was as it once was. Little did I realize an occupational therapist in a psychiatric setting specifically probably could have been a very good help to me. Until one day when I was 22 and I discovered the profession for the first time. I was in nursing school, which I had attended because my very rational and poignant parents had told me to make sure that I choose a field that has good health insurance and get a real job, don't be a musician. Especially considering that the music that I do is rock and roll, so there's not really a huge market for graduate degrees and doctoral degrees in creating stage performances of that type of caliber. You can have a degree in music, but it's not really going to help. So I went to school for nursing, not knowing any better, and discovered occupational therapy when I was on clinicals. And immediately I had said to myself, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I wish I would have heard about it sooner. How do I go about doing it? So I started asking the people that were in the field how they got into the field. Well, plain and simple, so-and-so in my life was an OT, or so-and-so told me about OT, or I, myself, my brother, had OT. So I always had this inclination. When I applied to schools, I applied to a combined bachelor's and master's program. Because in America, you need a master's to practice as of 2021. And as of 2027, they're trying to move it to a doctoral degree as a minimum to entry to the profession. And so this became very curious in my mind. I said, okay, well, if the only way to get into OT is through doing five years combined bachelor's master's, and I'm already three and a half to four years into my bachelor's, that means to be an OT, I'm going to need to go to an extra nine years of school. I don't want to do that. So very quickly, I became defeated and depressed until somebody told me that they were doing their post-bachelor's degree in occupational therapy. It was a post-professional entry-level occupational therapy school that the only requirements were a couple of prerequisites from an undergraduate and an undergraduate degree. And so I said, wow, it looks like there's hope. I immediately dropped out of nursing school for the sake of my mental health and many other things, switched to a degree just to get the piece of paper to say I had a bachelor's degree, over the course of five years, and then immediately jumped into the field as soon as I possibly could. And that came with trials and tribulations too. In America, you need a good 50 hours of shadowing, unpaid, unsupervised, unskilled, that kind of thing, just to be eligible to apply to schools. You need to pay extortionate amount of fees to get into schools. And then you also need to go through the interview process, which usually involves you driving out or flying out to wherever it is in the world you want to go to school. Now, obviously, this was all a bit much. Interview after interview, I decided that it wasn't really going to be the best fit for me. 
until I discovered a school over in England. And this school was Brunel University of London. And it was the only school outside of America that had an occupational therapy degree that was accredited and recognized legally at a national level in the United States. So I applied and without much of a second thought, I got in. What happened over the next two years would define the course of my life. And at the time of recording this, it's only been about a year and a half to two years since I left school. But that just shows you how poignant and important it is to me. And so in the next episode, I guess I should take us back a little bit further before jumping into the England adventures and talk about my first experiences ever getting on a plane. So until then, I add my nurturing and beautiful silence. Wherever you are in the world, I hope that there is something that you can relate to within the confines of my story. And I want you to reflect on what adversities you may have had, what challenges you may have faced, and how you found ways to overcome them. And to this, I add my most beautiful and precious silence.